Amen. Thank you, Steve. And uh, I'm so grateful to serve alongside a, a shepherding group that uh, loves this church, uh, every generation, but uh, especially desires to pour into the next generation. Uh, very thankful for that. And so uh, also excited about Chris Richardson coming on uh, full time in a, in a few months. Uh, Chris has served this church for many, many years. And I'm uh, looking forward to working him, with him in a full-time capacity. Um, and as far as the, the background checks are concerned, I, I just want to say thank you to Justin and Morgan and Bethany and their, their desire to help create uh, just more of a, an engaging and safe environment for every person as we, as we grow in the Lord. And uh, also our executive minister, Rick Caulfold, has spent a lot of time and energy on this as well. And uh, I'm just uh, surrounded by a great team, and I'm so thankful for that. So I want to ask you to join the staff and shepherds as we seek to provide a healthy and trusty, trusted environment here at Homewood. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be pulling those out. Uh, we're continuing our study of the letter to the Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 is uh, where we're going to be today. And uh, I want to jump right in uh, so uh, we can go ahead and get to work on, on what uh, Paul is telling us in uh, this section of Scripture. Uh, so starting in, in verse 24 of chapter 1, uh, Paul says this. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. May God bless the reading of his word. A uh, couple, three things to keep in, in mind. Uh, one, I was, I was praying this morning, got here early, was praying just for uh, today's service, as I often do, and praying for those that are, uh, of you that are entering the doors, uh, that God will uh, just speak a word to you and that uh, he will uh, en enable us to just limit distractions and be able to hear directly from him. Uh, and there's a couple things that, uh, that I'm reminded of every week. This, this week I was reminded of that, you know, my job today is not to be spectacular. Uh, my job today is, is to be faithful. And I appreciate Kevin and, and just singing that song a few moments ago. Uh, let us be faithful, faithful, faithful Lord. Um, a few things as we jump into the text this morning I want to remind us of that kind of help us think context because it's important that we think context. Every week that I've preached on uh, the letter to the Colossians we've had some form of, hey, this is kind of what's going on. This is the context in which we find ourselves as we read uh, this letter. Uh, one of the things I want to remind us of is that it's, it's very likely that Paul is in prison. This is considered one of his prison epistles. So Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and then uh, Philemon is, is considered these epistles that are, are written by Paul, in this case Paul and Timothy, uh, in the context of prison. So I just want you to imagine writing a letter uh, in prison. Uh, the second thing that I want to remind us of as we read this today is that this is a letter. Uh, so often we can uh, get, particularly uh, in, in Bible study uh, context, we can kind of get uh, trapped and just focusing on a few verses. And I think that's, that's healthy and helpful at times. 
Um, but we have to remember this is a whole letter. This is a, a, a context. And so if somebody sends you a letter in the mail or if somebody sends you uh, a long text message, you're going to read the whole thing. You're not just going to skip down the middle and just read the middle part and then be done. Uh, so I want to encourage you uh, and us as a faith family to be reading through the letter to the Colossians. Uh, it can take you 10 to 15 minutes in just one setting uh, to read that. Half of what most of us spend watching a TV show. Um, uh, as you're driving to work, I had somebody send me a message just uh, this past week saying, you know what, I was, I was uh, you know, sitting in the back porch and I just hit play on my YouVersion app and just listened to this whole letter from start to finish being read so I can begin to understand the, the context as a whole and, and not just parsing out particular verses, although uh, that's what we're doing today. The third thing that I want to remind us of is that Paul did not plant this church. He, he tells us that in, in the beginning of chapter 1, that it was uh, Epaphras who planted this. But, but even though Paul did not plant this church, he's the one that is, is saying, you know what, I love this church. I, I pray for this church. He thanks God for this church. And he, he's asking that they be filled with the wisdom and understanding from the Spirit. I pray the same thing for the Homewood Church of Christ. That we be filled with wisdom and the understanding from the Spirit of God. So Paul says, uh, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, which is uh, it's kind of a, um, you want to like give Paul a little bit of, a, of a, a psychological examination when he says this, like I'm rejoicing in the suffering. How, how does that even go together? How does that even make sense? Uh, but this is what Paul says, and if anybody has reason uh, to be able to, to say even those words that I am suffering, it's Paul. I mean, uh, there's several places we can go to in the New Testament to prove this, um, but one of the, one of the most, uh, I think, just that encapsulates this in the fewest, fewest amount of verses is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, you don't have to turn over there if, if you want to look at the screen, but 2 Corinthians 11 verse 23, here's what Paul says. So are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Verse 24, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten by rods. Once I was pelted by stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So now we're like going castaway on this. I mean, he is, he's just done all these things. He's been shipwrecked three times. Like one is good for me. One shipwreck and I'm, I'm done. I haven't done that yet, but, but one and, and I'm good. Three times Paul's been shipwrecked. He says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city. Are you getting the picture? In danger... In the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and told and have often gone without sleep. Can I get a witness? I have been known to hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. Besides all of this, I also face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Are you like tracking with what Paul has gone through? Like I can kind of you know, find some, some empathy with that last one because, you know, I face daily the concern for the church and the churches. That's something that's on my mind daily. But I don't do all the other stuff. 
I mean, I'm not in, I don't feel like I'm constantly in danger. I don't feel like I'm, con I mean, one time Paul was shipwrecked. Do you remember this in, in scripture? One time Paul was shipwrecked and then he gets bitten by a snake right after the, the shipwreck. I mean, it, you almost like can see him visualize like the, the Jim Carrey like, are you serious? You know, I mean, like this, this is just going on in his life. And if anybody can say, you know what, I've been suffering, it's Paul. And we have proof of that in scripture. And so when I start complaining, anybody, anybody with me? When I start complaining, this is where I got I me. Mean, I feel like uh, the comic strip you'll see on the screen. I feel like uh, the toothbrush talking to the toilet paper. Sometimes I feel that I have the worst job in the world, and then the toilet paper says what? To the toothbrush. Yeah, right. Right? I mean, this is how I feel when I'm, when I'm comparing myself to Paul. You know, when I start complaining about, oh, woe is me, you know, uh, the auditorium's a little cold, or the auditorium's a little hot, you know. I mean, here's Paul like, really? <laughs> Let me show you what I've been through. Verse 24, this is what he says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, we aren't able to, to camp out in this verse very long, but I think it can easily be misunderstood. And this is not saying, this verse is not saying that Christ's work on the cross is somehow incomplete when it comes to our salvation. It's not what Paul is saying at all. Matter of fact, Michael Gorman in his book, Apostle of the Crucified Lord, he says this, that in the context of a letter that exalts the completeness of Christ's person and work, this claim, talking about this verse, this claim cannot mean that Christ's passion was somehow deficient. Rather, it suggests that because Christ's suffering and death were definitive of God's self-revelation and activity in the world, they must be continued in the life of the apostle. So, what Paul is saying is that there is this, there's this continuation of, of life in Christ. That, you know, Paul would say that I've been crucified with Christ. I'm, I'm continuing to live this life that, that Christ exampled for us. So for the sake of Christ's body, which is the church, what does Paul do? Paul suffers. So I want us to just latch on to this today, that when, when we die to ourselves... This is when we begin to truly live. It's the great paradox of Christianity. It sounds so counterintuitive when we talk about it, when we think about it. And how do we do this? Well, Jesus would tell us in the Gospels to take up our cross and to follow him daily. Take up your cross daily. Um, and I know that's kind of a phrase that some of us have in our mind, you know, because we may have, if you've grown up in the church or you've been to church for any length of time, you've probably heard that phrase. But, but what does that really mean? What does it really mean to, to take up my cross daily? I think there are, are several reasons that the New Testament doesn't just stop after the Gospels, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think there's several reasons for that, but one of the reasons that we, we see this more complete picture through the other books of the New Testament, not just the Gospels, is because we need to see this lived out. We need to see what, what this begins to look like. And, and Paul and certainly the apostles begin to example this for us. Okay, what does a life in Christ mean? What does that begin to look like? And then you, you think about 
uh, other examples in Scripture. You think about uh, Eunice and, and Lois, and you, you think about Phoebe and, and Lydia, and you think about Priscilla in Acts chapter 18, some of the forgotten women in the New Testament. And we see this being lived out through their example, through, through their life as well. I remember when I was playing basketball in high school, how we would just go through drill after drill after drill. And sometimes we would go through a whole two-hour practice, uh, no water, uh, and we'd go through a whole two-hour practice, like and not even touch a basketball uh, because we were doing defensive drills the whole time. And what I began to, to think about when I, when I thought about just the, the drills that we go through, and maybe you experienced uh, similar things in sports that you played along the way, drill after drill, but if the drill didn't translate to the game, you have to stop and ask yourself kind of the question, like, okay, well, what's the purpose of the drill? You know, but when the drill translates into the actual game, like when we're, when we're running and doing this, this trap defense, you know, and, and we're trying to do this full court press, and we're doing that over and over and over, well, that translates to the game because in the game, this is what we're going to do. But a lot of times, you know, there were drills that we, we did that didn't necessarily translate to the game. One of the drills that we did that didn't always translate was the spider dribble. So you take a basketball, and you do it here, and you do it in the back, and do it like winning the game, and I'm, am I going to just stop and start doing this? Like, probably never, right? Um, and I know it's got, you know, hand-eye coordination, and it helps you with your fundamentals and all that kind of stuff. But, but really thinking about, okay, what, what, what are we doing in the terms of, you know, preparing for this life that translates into the actual game? So, so for me, I mean, it, it's, it's the, the goal of preaching is not for you to come back next Sunday. Like, I want you to come back next Sunday. But that's not the goal of preaching. The goal of preaching is to help you get in the game on Monday, right? I mean, that, that's what that we take God's word and, and what it says and that, and that his spirit begins to speak in such a way that, okay, this is preparing me for the game. So what does it mean to take up our cross daily? It means that out of our love for God and our love for our neighbor that I'm going to surrender my will on Monday, not just on Sunday. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, to offer your bodies, this is a plural in the Greek, this is a plural, plural word, it's hard to say. Uh, 12, Romans 12, offer your bodies, plural, into a what? As a living sacrifice, singular. Plural bodies into a singular sacrifice. The church, the body, the plural bodies that make up the body become a singular sacrifice for what? For the glory, for the praise, for the hallowing of God's name in our lives outside of even these walls. When I was working on my dissertation, and I had about 20 young professionals, and we were just talking about kind of this idea of, of how do we kind of live, live this, this life outside of these walls. And, and one of the things that we, we all had in common was that everybody had a, something they were working on, a vocation, a student, something that they were, were doing. And so we just mapped um, in the city of Birmingham, we just mapped where everybody's you know, place of vocation was whether it be a, a stay-at-home parent for some, but a student for others, or, or actual place that you go to, and a vocation. And, and, just, and what I began to show them on the screen on this big Google map was, uh, look, at, look at all the, the places that we touch in this city each and every week. Um, I'm so thankful for Michael Threet's 
comments this morning during communion. Uh, Michael is a transformational leader down in Sylacauga, the Sylacauga Housing Authority. So grateful for his influence in that community. And when you begin mapping, if we went around and just mapped where, where you found yourself Monday through Saturday, what we would see is this, this bigger picture of what's going on, that, that life in Christ is not just a life one day a week. Some of you say that I can't do that. I can't die to myself. If I die to myself, then people will just walk all over me. If I surrender my, my will, that's going to be a, a sign of, of weakness to other people. Paul says, not if you have resurrection power, it won't be. That if you have resurrection power, dying to yourself is actually the most genuine way that you can live life because it's God designed. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Uh, so if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to, to, to jot this down. It's just a reminder that I've reflected on this week is that re resurrection actually frees us to let go of life because we have life. That we know that because Jesus was raised from the dead, that he defeated death and was raised from the dead, we are no longer held captive by death. That we are no longer held in, in slavery to death. We're not slaves to death anymore. Jesus has defeated death. And so the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. So it enables us to go into our Mondays, to go into our Tuesdays and the rest of our weeks uh, with this, this power. It's not our own power. It's the power that lives inside of us. And so when, when we realize that life, our lives, encompass this power, it frees us to let go of life. And I'm not talking about that in a fatalistic way. I'm not talking about, well, you know, you're driving down the road and Jesus, take the wheel. You know, I'm not talking, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we, we are enabled by something bigger than ourselves. Uh, my friend Don McLaughlin shares the uh, four-way stop illustration. Uh, how many of you have been to a four-way stop lately? You know, where, uh, you know, there's really supposed to be only like two rules. Like when you get to uh, a four-way stop. Stop and go. But how many of us have pulled up to a four-way stop and somebody else pulls up at the same time? All right, now, now what happens? So, you know, you think in your mind, well, I got here first, but, you know, and then they're probably thinking in their mind, well, I got here first, and so, so what do you do? You wave. And then what do they do? They wave. And then you get a little more emphatic. And then they get a little more, in fact, no, no, you go. And then so both of you then inevitably next do what? You both hit the gas at the same time. Anybody ever done this? You're both hitting the gas at the same time. You're both trying to, and, and what has to happen in this intersection is that someone has to yield. I mean, that, that's the only way that this is going to work without an accident. That somebody has to yield in this, this moment. I think that why Paul's talking about this is, is church that navigating the intersections of life require humility. That when we yield to selfishness, when we yield to control, when we yield to expecting everyone else to line up to our way of thinking and our way of doing, this is how James says it in James chapter 1. What James says is, hey, be, be quick to listen. 
Be, be slow to speak. Be slow to become angry. And what happens in these intersections of life is that it's in these moments when relationships can flourish or relationships can be destroyed. And so are we going to take up our cross daily? Are we going to, to be that, that witness that, that says, you know what, it's not all about me. It's not all about my interest. It's not all about, uh, Paul would say in Philippians 2, look not only to your own interests, but, but look to the interests of other people. And then Paul talks about this mystery. He talks about Christ being in you that, that has been made known to the Gentiles. Now, I want to pause right there because this, again, is an important part for context. Um, ask you a question. Have you ever felt excluded? Anybody? Have you ever felt excluded? Maybe you're in middle school or, or high school and you, you didn't get to sit at the particular, you know, lunch table. You kind of felt excluded. Maybe you're, you're in college and uh, you felt uh, excluded from a particular fraternity or a particular sorority. Uh, maybe even in the workforce, maybe you, know, you feel excluded for certain, certain conversations that are happening in the office, or you feel excluded from you know, the, the things that happen after work, you know, where coworkers go out, you know, those types of things. We all have had experiences in our lives where we have felt excluded. But imagine someone trying to keep you from connecting with God because you were not like them. Imagine wanting to be in a faith group, but the people in that group excluded you. And in the days that, that Jesus walked this earth, in the days that Jesus lived, many people saw basically two groups. You were either part of the Israelites or the Jews, or you were a Gentile, which is a non-Jew. And these were, these were the two groups that were, were seen. And the lines were pretty clear. And you could tell by the way that a person dressed, by the way that a person spoke, by the way that uh, a person lived, and even in their neighborhood which they grew up in. And God had clearly called and he clearly had blessed the Israelites and, and he had called them to be apart from the Gentiles in various ways. The Jews were not to engage in some of the behavior that the Gentiles did. But this resulted in what I, I guess what would have you know, resulted in some spiritual arrogance for the Jews. And, and for many of the Gentiles, perhaps a spiritual inferiority complex. I don't know. But when Jesus began breaking down some of those walls... He was met with quite a bit of resistance. And what the Lord did was, was very countercultural. He, he was being inclusive. I mean, we, we like exclusivity. We, we like being around people who are like us. But after his ascension, the message of Jesus began to be shared throughout the world and began to cross cultural lines. And the, the apostles, especially Paul, encountered strong opposition from many of his fellow Jews because he was reaching out to those people. But because of Christ, the Gentiles who for centuries had been excluded were now being included. This is important context as we are reading this part of the letter to the Galatians. And aren't you thankful because this is significant because for you and me, most of us, if not all of us, are not Jews. So this is, this is big news. So God has made relationship with him available to all people, regardless of their culture, regardless of their upbringing, regardless of their past. He's made relationship available through Jesus. So verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you just memorize one phrase this week from this passage, I encourage you to lock in on that one. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a, a question that I started reflecting on a few days ago. And that is, how are you making known that which was made known to you? Think about it in your life. Even this week as you get in the game tomorrow. How are you making known that which was made known to you? And then Paul goes on. There wasn't a chapter separation when this was originally written. But there's a chapter separation here. Uh, chapter 2. Uh, where Paul and Timothy say, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We're going to talk about that in a second. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by some fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Some of my favorite stories or movies are, are those where, you know, there's, there's this hidden treasure. And, you know, this group, this group of people or, or this person this gets this, you know, this map or this chart. Uh, you think of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island uh, you may think of this movie, The Goonies. Uh, you may think of, uh, you know, National Treasure that came out. Uh, it's interesting, in, in this movie, uh, The Goonies, this was, uh, I'm an 80s kid, so this movie came out in the mid-80s. And uh, one of the things that the director wanted to be very specific about was, um, and this is kind of a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but it's been out for 30-plus years, so I feel, like, I feel like I get some kind of leeway after 30 years, like if you hadn't seen it. Don't come up to me afterwards. Hey, we're going to watch that tonight. Like, I don't, no, don't pull that on me. All right, so, so the kind of spoiler alert is they, they, finally, they finally get to this, this big pirate ship that was uh, in this underground cave. And, and one of the things that the director, is a Steven Spielberg movie, but one of the things that the director wanted to do is he wanted to get the authentic expression of the kids who are in this movie, he wanted to get the authentic expression of them seeing this huge pirate ship for the first time. So for, for three months while this thing's being built, they don't let any of the actors see it. And then finally, the day that they're going to shoot this scene, they, they back the actors in, you know, backwards, they walk in backwards and they have to, to get underwater and then there's going to be a, a mic underneath water and tell them action and they're going to come up and they're going to see this huge pirate ship for the first time. And, and he wants to get their authentic reaction. Well, so they, so they set it all up, and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, all the kids come up, and, you know, they say, you know, you know here we go, you know, action, you know, and they, they all come up, and, like, you know, one of the kids comes up and, like, yells an expletive. And, and so, like, the director's like, cut, you know, like, you know, you can't do that, you know, you're a goonie, you can't, you, you know, use that. Uh, matter of fact, it was for all you Avengers Endgame fans, guess who it was? It was Thanos. Yeah, the guy who plays Thanos in Endgame is the guy who yelled the expletive in, in this movie, and that ruined the whole deal. So thank you, Thanos. Um, but there's, there's this idea of, okay, you know, we're, we're, we have this treasure Paul talks about. 
this treasure that we're, we're looking at. And, and it's this treasure that's inside of us. And what Paul's trying to remind the Colossians, and through the Holy Spirit, I believe, and what he's reminding the Homewood Church of Christ today, is that Jesus is the hidden treasure that's been revealed. And, and so often, you know, we come up, you know, from the, the waters of life, and, and we see, we see this, this wonderful treasure that is Jesus. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're kind of underwhelmed by that. Or, or, maybe, or maybe you've experienced this in, in your life where you just kind of go through these stuck moments or these storms in, in life and it begins to make you question. Uh, you know, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the, the wise man who built his house on the what? Wise man built his house on the rock. Foolish man built his house on the sand. Here's what's interesting about that story. Both of them encounter storms. One wasn't exempt from storms just because, you know, he had followed these rules and done this, this good stuff. No, they, they both encounter storms in life. And, and Paul is reminding the Galatians, hey, there's, there's this treasure that's hidden, but now it's been revealed. This treasure is Christ. And so what does he say? He says, verse, verse 6, we're going to move on in a little bit. He says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, he says, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. So here, here's three things that I just want you to remember for this week. Three quick things. Number one is that I want to encourage you to get in the game tomorrow. Get in the game. I don't... don't Enter into this week with a spirit of fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Get in the game tomorrow. Whatever that means for you in your life. Number two is that uh, I want you to engage others with humility. Think about every time you come to a four-way stop this week. Think about that illustration. Am I dying to myself, not just at this stop sign, but in, this, in the intersections of life? Am I entering and engaging others with humility, and the number three, that we live our lives rooted in Christ. And I want you to feel free to share that with me. You know, send me an email. Give, give me, say, hey, this is how this is being played out in my life this week. I would love to hear those stories. Those are amazing stories. But each and every day, we recognize we get the wonderful privilege of playing the challenging yet exhilarating game of life. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for Paul and Timothy, by the guidance of your spirit, uh, crafting this letter centuries ago, and how it can still speak to us in 2019. That's uh, something that, that we can't wrap our minds around. Uh, thank you that uh, your word is, is timeless and true. God, I pray that uh, we will, uh, as the the people in Colossae uh, were, uh, pray that we'll be reminded that when we are encountering things in this life, these, these seemingly uh, convincing arguments against our faith, God, I pray that we'll just be rooted and established in a faith that's founded in love. Uh, we're thankful for your love for us, and we're thankful for the opportunity that we get to share that love with other people. 
And I pray that we will be overflowing with thankfulness, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. I pray for every person in this room. I pray for the person who walked into these doors and just uh, kind of barely made it here this morning. And I'm thankful they're here. And I, I pray that they've received a word of encouragement this morning. God, I pray for the, the person listening to my voice online. God, I pray for whatever's going on in their situation or in their family. God, I pray that, uh, that you will turn their eyes toward Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, in everything that we do, we want to give you the glory and honor and praise. May the passion of this church be the glory of your name. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.